Welcome back to Sakamichi Nights. Hey there, Matthew Manchego. Welcome, Daniel. And I'm going to stop there because I have some very distressing news for you. Oh, man. I feel like you should not tell me things in a semi-public forum like this. We have recently been giving each other really cute cheese nicknames. I know. It's been great. Um, uh, Unfortunately, this is entirely my fault. I started calling you Daniel Dorchester. I've done a little bit of research. There's no such cheese as a Dorchester. You You had me fooled. It's just a word I made up. It's not a real cheese. It should be. It sounds like a cheese. It should be, and yet it appears that it isn't. So I'd like to propose a change. Instead of Daniel Dorchester... I think from now on you should be known as Daniel Dan Blue. Okay. You're wearing a blue t-shirt. And my name is Dan. There you go. I mean, I can't help but feeling like the rug's been pulled out from under me. I was looking forward to trying this Dorchester cheese. It should be a cheese. It really sounds like a cheese. Do you think that maybe we should add another string to the Sakamichi bow? And get into the cheese game. Cheese making. Yeah. We'll make one cheese and we'll call it Danny Dorchester. What kind of cheese is this going to be? What What is your signature cheese? It's got to be pungent, I think. I think yeah. when, when when people, they go, oh, you you know Dan? I'm like, Dan, you the pungent guy? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah I know him. So I feel like a cheese, uh, Danny Dorchester should be a pungent cheese. I feel like it needs a thick rind as well. Hmm. You like my thick rind. I, I feel like you're a rindy kind of guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so a thick rind and some deep blue veins. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Pungent, thick rinds, deep blue veins. Yeah. I think I've seen this movie. That's a Dorchester. That's a Dorchester. That's how you know it's the Dorchester seal of quality. Well, what do you want to do? Do you want to rename yourself to an actual cheese that does exist? Or do you want to continue to be known by this putative cheese? I'd rather like, go with imaginary cheese. Okay. Daniel Dorchester it is. Welcome uh, back to Tachikawa, Daniel Dorchester. Before you move on, I yes. think the the broader issue that we need to discuss here is uh, how much you are able to sound authoritative on something you have completely fucking made up. I don't know that I like that. <laughs> Do I trust you too much? Or what is it about you that, that made me just go like, hmm, yeah, Matt says Dorchester's a cheese. Why do I trust that you know every cheese in existence? Well, you're trusting me now that it isn't a cheese. Have you done your own research? <gasps> Boom! <laughs> Inception going on in here. Uh, man, don't do this to me. I think I don't speak... Don't turn me around like I this. I speak in a naturally, naturally authoritative way. Mm. And so people tend to believe me when yeah. I say things and for the most part I use this power for good but not for the always most part, yeah. not always uh, and I guess it's up to you to figure out when I'm being good and when I'm being mischievous much like Santa Claus <laughs> it's up to me to know Father when Christmas. being good and yes. mischievous Father Christmas he's keeping a list he's checking it twice he wants to find out if you're Dorchester or Dan Blue <laughs> <laughs> which one is an actual cheese I, I kind of to be honest, I kind of wanted you to, to change your name to Dan Blue because the Danes are on my mind this week. We've been lucky enough to have a couple of different uh, football team sponsors over the last couple of episodes. Uh, the German national team. How is the Mannschaft? Uh, well, they're back in Germany now. Um, they got dumped out of the tournament by England. They got shafted. And, and then we were also uh, sponsored by the Ukrainian national football team who unfortunately were also dumped out of the tournament. I told you. By England. Yeah. 
going to be the Sakamichi Knight's kiss of death. So this week, I'm very happy to announce that we are being sponsored by the Danish national football mm. team. Thank you, Denmark. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Brian Laudrup. Thank you, Michael Laudrup. Again, I could, be making, making these, these up? I yeah. could be making these up. Every, everything is suspicious now. But yeah, uh, if, the, if, the if, Danish team is playing England, I guess is that why is that why they're sponsoring us tonight? To yes, they are. They're playing each other tonight. Throughout the history of Danish English relations, and there's a certain school of thought that, has, that says that this is the oldest international relationship in the world. What would you say have been some of the highlights and some of the lowlights? Um, well, the lowlights, obviously all of the wars and conflicts mm, mm. that uh, I am assuming have happened. Yes. Uh, and then the highlights, uh, you know, the, the various trade agreements and yeah. other, uh, you know, cultural exchanges that you guys have had. Yes. Yeah. I, I really couldn't put it better myself. Mm. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a student of history. I think the monks at Lindisfarne, Mm-hmm. would have a hard time moving on from, from what the Danes inflicted on them. But then the Danes in turn would have a hard time moving on from when Nelson destroyed their fleet in Copenhagen Harbor. Yeah. But um, this is perhaps one that you're not familiar with. Uh, do you know who Hans Christian Andersen is? Sure. Do you know who Charles Dickens is? Yes. <laughs> so apparently... Yeah. Uh-huh. This is a story I learned this week. Um, Hans Christian Andersen was the nightmare house guest at Charles Dickens's house. Okay. Have you ever had somebody basically invite themselves over to your house and then stay for way too long? Uh, I haven't, but I've, I've read enough Am I the Asshole on Reddit to be familiar with these types of stories. So apparently they had met in London like in 1847 or something and were in frequent correspondence after mm-hmm. that. Um, although Charles Dickens didn't really care for Hans Christian Andersen. But then he made the crucial mistake, uh, like 10 years later, of mentioning in a letter, you know, well, if you're ever in London, you must really look us up. That's a pretty common phrase to use that doesn't really mean what it says. Well, unfortunately for Charles Dickens, Hans Christian Andersen took this very literally, Mm. and he showed up to London assuring Charles Dickens that he would stay for no more than a fortnight at his house. It's <laughs> already a pretty big imposition. He ended up staying for over five weeks. <laughs> and uh, I know you're a fan of bold opening moves. Mm. So when Hans Christian Andersen showed up at Charles Dickens's house, one of the first things he insisted was that Charles Dickens's eldest son should shave him every morning because okay. this is the Danish custom. This is leading into our new sponsor. <laughs> uh, who Hans Christian Andersen <laughs> Uh, Charles Dickens refused to right. allow this. He, yeah. he booked him an appointment with a local barber. Mm. But uh, my favorite story from this nightmare house guest scenario is that Charles Dickens was actually preparing for a play at about this same time. Mm. And on the opening night, Hans Christian Andersen positioned himself front and center in the audience mm. and wept loudly and ostentatiously throughout mm. the entire That's play. Great. Uh, and then when he felt that he hadn't been given enough attention, threw himself into a flower bed outside Charles Dickens's house, weeping and beating on the floor. That's great. So, yeah, I, I think this is a real low point in British-Danish relations. So do you feel like uh, in this upcoming soccer match, 
do you think that 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 everyone in the stands, all all of the English fans, will be looking to redress this wrong? Like they'll be, they will have this this in mind um, when they're cheering on the team. Well, as you know, and as you so excellently summarized, there is a long history of relations mm. between England and Denmark. As I know, um, maybe the the Lindisfarne sacking would be one nil to Denmark in the first half. Um, the Copenhagen Nelson fracas would be one nil to, to England in the second half, and then when it goes to penalties, I'm kind of hoping that one of the Danish players throws himself to the ground and starts weeping mm. openly. Yeah, uh, after ostentatiously, he, he, he misses the crucial penalty. Right. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to England uh, losing to Italy History in the finals. Repeats itself. Oh, so you think move on past this round and then lose. That's your prediction. That's that's my bold prediction. We'll either lose very badly against Denmark or lose heroically and narrowly to Italy in the final. Hmm. You heard it here first. Okay, great. We're not. That's here. why people tune in to Sakamichi Nights. Football predictions and history lessons and analysis of Danish English relations. Made up cheeses. Was I actually making it up though, or was I making it up the second time? I don't care to talk about this any longer. We are not here to talk about my perfidity, though. What are we here to talk about? We are here to talk about beer. What is the beer that we are here to talk about this week? Today, we are going to talk about Equinot Hazy Pale, which is a hazy pale ale from the beer smiths at Y Market Brewing. That's right. I think we're going to talk about two beers, though. Correct. Right. What is the second beer? Are we also going to talk about Y Market's German Pilsner? Yes. Yes, we are. So two different beers from Weimar Market in Nagoya. Are we here to rate and review these beers, though? Uh, we are not. We are not here to review the beers. Uh, everything that we drink here is something that we have on tap or in the fridge at the tap room, and we don't have beers in our fridge or on tap that are not good. So if we're talking about in here, you can be sure that it is a good beer. Uh, we want to talk about how we like it, uh, and describe the beer and celebrate the beer. Um, but if you're looking for just, this is a good beer, this is not a good beer, uh, this is not that show. We're not here to review the beers, we're here to celebrate good beer. Because we don't sell bad beer. Let's start with this Equinot Hazy Pale from Y Market in Nagoya. Um, before we dive into the beer, what do you know about Equinot Hops? I know that uh, I know it used to be called Equinox, and then there was some kind of trademark infringement thing, and they ended up changing it to Equinot. Mm. Uh, and I know that this beer in particular uses, uh, I know that they use uh, Cryo Equinot as well as, I assume, regular Equinot pellets. I don't know if they're using whole hops or pellets, but uh, I know in their listing on their website it says the hops are uh, Equinot and Cryo Equinot. Interesting. Mm. So if you go back and listen to our previous episode where we talk about the different ways of processing hops, you can learn more about exactly what we mean by cryo hops and pellet hops. I have to think that they must have they must feel like they get something different from the cryo version of Equinon because if you just wanted something from the Equinon and you wanted to have less volume or it was cheaper, then why wouldn't you make it just all cryo? So there must be some difference between the pellets and, and the cryo version of Equinot that they, they wanted a little bit of both. 
Yeah, perhaps they're better suited to different applications, like late additions to the whirlpool mm. or dry hopping or right. something like that. Um, not sure exactly. But anyway, let's try the beer. Equinot Hazy Pale from Y Market. What are your first thoughts on tasting this? Well, first off, it's it's not hazy. That's true. I mean, visually, it's not a hazy, mm. but does it taste like a hazy? Yeah, it's definitely got some some fruity notes, uh, some kind of, I don't know if I can pinpoint anything directly, but kind of a tropical melange going on, uh, and some kind of fruity and florally esters, I think I get at the end, like in the back of the palate. Uh, and, it, you know, we say it's not hazy. It's not hazy right now. Uh, it's possible that, that whatever was making it hazy has kind of fallen out of suspension in the beer and we may start pouring hazy glasses of this uh, later on as we move down the keg a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think it definitely ticks the boxes you want uh, as a flavor profile from a hazy beer. I was thinking about this earlier uh, and the fact that it, it's not pouring hazy at the moment. And we often say like, oh, well, stuff has fallen out of suspension. But as you know, the beer from the keg comes out of the bottom of the keg, right? Mm. The spear goes yeah, all true. the way down to the bottom. Mm. So if there is something that was making it hazy, it's actually probably floating, floating. on the top. Yeah, you're right. um, so it's interesting that we use that phrase, but we kind of mean the opposite, mm. don't we? Uh, it's also interesting that you say it's difficult to pin down exactly what the flavor here is, because I think Equinox hops are kind of famous for having a very complex uh, flavor profile and mm. for having lots and lots of different volatile flavor compounds. Some people say they have a kind of citrusy taste mm -hmm. or a tropical taste, mm. pineapple taste even. Um, I've heard some people say that they have a kind of fresh green pepper taste. Mm. So even though it's almost all Equinot hops in here, it does have quite a complex flavor, I think. I wonder if it, uh, like they, at least what's listed on the website, they're only listing Equinot and Equinot Cryo. And I, I wonder if Equinot, because of that nature, might be better off used, uh, you know, with another primary hop that has a more defined flavor. Perhaps mm -hmm. Equinot would support that flavor. Uh, whereas if you only use Equinot, you get that, um, that, you know, pleasant kind of fruit mix going on, but without any really identifiable notes. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what this tastes like. There's a lot going on mm. in the glass, isn't there? Very pleasant beer, though. It's very, it's very drinkable. Uh, I think it's 5% on the nose and 23 IBUs. So you do get a little bit of bitterness at the end. Uh, but it's, uh, I think it, it goes down pretty easy. 5% is not, not a small beer, but it's, it's kind of in the range of what we now consider sessionable. Um, and I, I feel like you could knock back a few of these on a hot, sunny day. It's fun, isn't it, that when I was a wee lad, 5% would have been considered a strong continental lager. But mm. that's, that's now a session beer. That's something that you just crush on the veranda. We had a session beer from, I would like to say, Gnomecraft that was 5.5%. Right. Um, so clearly the, uh, the battle lines are being redrawn on what exactly is a session beer. All right, so that was the first of the two Y Market beers that we're going to try today. What is the second one? 
Uh, second one is a beer that we have in cans right now, and it is Weimarket's German Pilsner. Mm. Very classic German Pils, mm. 5.5% alcohol. Um, this one uses Czech Saas hops, which are like a, a noble hop from Europe, and uh, two different kinds of German Pilsner malt as well. So kind of a classic recipe profile here mm. and for people who are listening to our podcasts out of order noble hops are kind of the some of the traditional lines of hops right that's right yeah the ones from from the old world mm. from from places like germany and the czech republic places yeah. that you imagine beer to have originally spurned forth from so as czech saz is that a pretty common hop to use in a pilsner of this type it is yes yes that's one of the classic lager hops mm. i think um there are a lot of uh, newer hops that use czech sars somewhere in their lineage mm. they're descended somewhere along the line from czech sars anyway let's dive into the beer the first thing i like about this one is how straightforward it is it's just called pilsner mm. there's no silly name there's no pun there's no silly label this is one of the most simple labels i've ever seen mm. on a can of beer it's mm. just a thin strip of blue with the name of the beer. Just the information. Just the basic information that you need on here. And I think that is reflected in the beer as well. This is a very straightforward and honest beer, mm. I think. Um, it it tastes very clean to me. I don't get a lot of hops. There's a little bit in there, but it has a very nice malt character sure. from those two different kinds of German Pils malts as well. What do you think of it? Yeah, it's a very appealing looking beer as well. The, it's a, kind of a light straw color. Uh, I think it really looks the part. I, I think we've said, maybe we've said this on here before, but I know we had, just as an example, but Black Tide Brewing's uh, Saison. I can't remember specifically the name, but Black Tide Brewing's Saison we had on tap once. And you and I both drank it and went, it's just a good Saison. Right. It's not, it didn't try and reinvent the wheel. There, was, there, there were no wild adjuncts or anything in it. It was like, yeah, that is the flavor profile of a, a good, well-crafted saison. And I feel like uh, this Pilsner hits the same, the same notes. Like, it's just a good quality Pilsner. It's not reinventing the Pilsner wheel. It, they've just kind of made a good quality Pilsner beer. And we had in cans also before their Fifth Impact Pilsner. Mm which I think they they styled on their website as an American Pilsner. I'm not right. quite sure specifically what the difference is. Maybe Wasn't American that dry hops. hops. That's it. It was dry hopped. That was another one where I thought it, it tasted exactly like what it said it was. It was a dry hopped Pilsner. Mm. Uh, so I, I I have a... There's there's a place in my, um, on my drinking dance card for beers that are just what they say they are. Mm. I, I think that's a good a good place to have on your dance card because, it's, and especially with a Pilsner, I think it's actually really much harder than it might seem to get a beer like this right. Um, if you are putting in some kind of crazy adjunct or you're making a, a hazy or some wild new hop, that's what people are going to notice. But because this is such a simple beer, you have to get everything in the recipe right and everything in the process right mm. as well if you get anything wrong anywhere along the line especially with such a simple beer then you're going to be able to taste it mm. in the final product 
I sometimes say there's nowhere to hide in a pilsner. Mm. It needs to be clear. It needs to be clean tasting. Mm. It needs to absolutely have the characteristics that we understand a pilsner to have. Right. And so it really speaks to the, the skill of the, the brewing team mm. that they're able to pull something like this off. Yeah. We sometimes, because like most mass market beers are of this type, we assume that this is the easiest beer to make. Mm. But actually it's not. I think to pull off a style like this is actually quite difficult. Mm. Yeah, and, and I feel like they've done it. It's a real nice, easy drinking. Again, 5.5% is a good good spot to be in. Uh, and it's just, it's tasty. Like it just goes down easy, and it is what you expect when you see it's called a Pilsner. Yeah, it's good beer. So every week when we try the beer, we also try to, to pair it with something uh, but to keep things interesting, I have a wheel of pairings that I'm going to spin in the form of this dice. So we're going to have to pair it with one of six different categories. They could be number one, food, number two, TV or movies, number three, music, number four, video game, number five, location, and number six, wild card. We've tried two beers today, so you can decide which one you want to pair mm, with whatever okay. comes up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Number four, video game. I think they're both pretty easy drinking. They're not, uh, you know, they're they're tasty, but they're they're not going to distract you. Some beers you take a sip and then I just want to sit down and, and like meditate on it for a while. But these I feel like you can kind of drink while doing other things, having a chat with friends or. Uh, so anyway, I, I feel like I want something kind of light and fast moving. Uh, I might drink something like this while uh, playing a co-op shooter or something like that with friends, like Borderlands or something like that with a couple friends. You got the headset on. Maybe it's the afternoon on a Sunday. You're not doing anything. You know, the sun's coming in through the window and you're just running around grinding loot in Borderlands. Uh, chatting with some friends you haven't seen in a while. Popping off some headshots. Yeah. I think both of these beers are refined elegance in their simplicity. Okay. So I want a video game that is similarly elegant, refined, and simple. Mm. And what could be more of those things? Leisure Suit Larry. Except for Bomberman. Okay. I think this beer would pair perfectly with, like you, a multiplayer game. Mm. Something that I want to play with friends. Yeah. But rather than being something relaxing while I'm watching the sun stream in through my blinds on mm. a Sunday afternoon, I want it to be incredibly high stress mm -hmm. sitting around on the same sofa playing Bomberman with right. each other. There's Get, nothing yeah. purer or more simple. Getting angry at each other. and Yes. Uh, and eventually, you know, you, this beer is going to lead to bloodshed right. when I mix it together. Friendships will be ended. <laughs> so why markets do can a lot of their beer now. You mentioned that we've had in their Fifth Impact Pilsner, we've had their B Purple Sky, the Yellow Sky, we've had their Hysteric IPA. Hazy Sour IPA. Hazy Sour IPA. We've had a bunch of their different beers mm. in, in Cairns recently. Um, I want to talk a little bit today about the way that different breweries here in Japan, and I guess everywhere, microbreweries even, have started packaging their beer. I think... If you come from a homebrewing background, which obviously neither of us do, because it's illegal in Japan, mm. the most 
simple and straightforward step is to start bottling your beer. Mm. A lot of homebrewers do bottle their beer because it's relatively easy to condition the beer in the bottles. And it's also a relatively simple setup to get the beer into the bottles. But once you get to a professional context, you need some slightly more complex equipment. Um, a bottling line tends to do a few things. So you, you load the bottles on at one end and then it will probably rinse them out. The bottles are assumed to be sterile because they come straight from the factory. Mm. So they'll be rinsed out once, uh, maybe labeled as well, and then purged with some kind of inert gas, usually carbon dioxide, before being filled uh, with the beer and then capped as well by mm. the machine. And there are some very, very fast and complicated and expensive machines that can do hundreds or even thousands of bottles an hour. And there are some very homebrew kind of setups mm. that breweries have, which is basically just a piece of wood with some, you know, some taps and some tubes on it yeah. that does kind of the same thing. Uh, and I think that one of the reasons why it's pretty easy for breweries to get into the bottling game is because it's also pretty easy to put a cap on a bottle. Mm. You don't need any really mm. expensive or complicated equipment for that. Have you ever seen uh, a bottling line working? I don't think I, not in person, no, I don't think I have. I had to think about that for a bit, but no, I don't think so. So I think we've talked on the podcast before about how packaging is one of the more tedious jobs in the brewery. So it tends to be given to the newer people, the lower down people on the totem pole. Mm. But also, if you do make a mistake when you're packaging, there's nothing you can really do to fix that. Yeah. Uh, and so you do need to be paying very close attention as it goes through. And so maybe the simpler the machine, the better when it comes to a lot mm. of this stuff. But recently, a lot of breweries have been getting into canning instead of bottling. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is that there's now a wider range of canning machines that are available, the kind of price point and the kind of size that makes them practical to, to get into a small microbrewery mm. like us or like Y Market. Um, a canning machine works in a fairly similar way to a bottling machine. Um, you put on the, the can blanks, which are the bottom and the sides of the can onto the machine. Uh, they might get rinsed uh, and then they get purged with carbon dioxide, usually filled with the beer. But then there's a slightly more complicated process for how you get the top on. So these tops get placed onto the top of the cans. And then there are some, some wheels that just crimp the aluminium, sorry, the aluminium. Thank you. I had no idea what you were talking about. The aluminium uh, around each other. So there's actually, there's no glue or anything involved in here. Mm. It's just being crushed and squashed together. They end up getting folded under, doesn't it? Yeah, it gets folded over and under itself. Yeah. Uh, a bit like wrapping a Christmas present or something like that. Uh, and because it gets squashed so tightly, that's, that's a tight enough seal to keep the can under pressure, mm. to, keep, to keep all the beer inside as well and to stop the oxygen from getting in. But it's a slightly more complicated process and it requires a little bit more dialing in. So that's one of the reasons why, until fairly recently, it's been unobtainable for breweries of our size. Mm. But things like that are changing. In our future, it's possible that once we have the brewery in, we might start 
canning or bottling the beer, what do you think would be the advantages or the disadvantages of doing things in either one of those ways? Well, I think we want to get into packaging because uh, just some kind of packaging because there's a lot of really small restaurants and bars, locally owned places in Tachikawa that just don't have the space to have a keg of beer, even a, a 10 liter keg, something small like that. They might not have the ability to have that set up in their bar and, and serve from it. So we've long felt that uh, having our beer in bottles or cans would be a way to get into those kind of markets and basically be available everywhere in Tachikawa. Uh, anywhere you go out to drink, you can find, for example, Shibasaki Session in cans or bottles. Uh, we've kind of thrown this idea back and forth a bit between ourselves and between other people we know. Uh, I think I think for some people there is a little bit of perceived uh, prestige or quality to bottles, which mm. is interesting because it's the easier one for places to do. Uh, but I but I think I think I think that's true. Maybe not for everybody, but I think there is a little bit of uh, of a classier feeling to a bottle than a can. Personally speaking, if I am in a craft beer shop, I would rather buy a can mm. than a bottle. Right. I'm probably going to stick it in my bag to take it home with me, mm. and I don't want it to shatter and spill the beer everywhere. Sure. Right. So I would rather have a can. What about you? I think I would also rather have a can for the same reason. But I still think there is a perception of quality to glass bottles. And I said, generally. Yeah. I, I'm right. not ascribing any of this to you specifically. What? If you, I think if you think about any kind of like high-end release from any brewery, it's in a bottle. Any barrel-aged, any like expensive, like high-end, it's always in a bottle. Is that just because you can make bottles bigger than cans? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I do think that there is kind of a perception of, of value and fanciness and class to the bottle. I think, you know, f for me, it's practical considerations for me as a consumer. Mm. And I would rather have a can. I find it easier to handle. And in the times when I'm buying beer, I'm, I'm in packaged beer, I'm going to take it somewhere. And, and maybe I'm going to take it on a hike or something like that. So I, I'm all in on cans personally. But I do think that there might be a sense for some people that a bottle is a little bit fancier. I wonder if those two are basically the same reason. Right? We prefer cans because they're more practical. But bottles are heavier and heavier things tend to have mm, a higher perceived sure. value. Yeah. Isn't it true that Beats by Dre just have weights in them mm. to make them feel heavier and therefore make them seem more valuable yeah. of a higher quality? Mm. So maybe the fact that they are impractical is what makes bottles mm. have a higher value proposition. Yeah, possibly. Uh, but the, the, the practical concerns of being able to carry something around, I think, uh, definitely, definitely matter. And I think that for some people, as you said, if you're going to pick it up and chuck it in your bag and carry it home, that you might rather have a can than a bottle. When I worked at Baird, one of the key drawbacks to bottles was often apparent to us when we were doing a big bottling run. Uh, and that is that they're not completely opaque. So most bottles, most beer bottles are brown because that blocks the UV light mm. from getting into them. But it doesn't block 100% of the UV light. So we would package the beer in bottles and we'd put them into crates and stack up those crates on pallets. But then we had to leave them out of the conditioning fridge for a bit 
just to let them come up to room temperature before we put them in there. Otherwise, they would get a lot of condensation on them mm. and make it really wet in the fridge, which mm. is bad. But when we were doing that, we had to be very careful not to leave them anywhere with like a shaft of sunlight mm. hitting them, right. because that would spoil the beer. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the really key drawbacks to glass when it comes to beer bottles is that you can see through it, whereas, of course, you can't do that with cans. Mm. I guess one of the the reasons that we did use bottles, though, points to an, a drawback for cans, and that was that at bed all of the beer was bottle conditioned. It was all, con you know, it, it carbonated inside the bottle, uh, and we couldn't use cans for that because the wall of the can is quite thin; mm. it can't withstand that much pressure. And so, if there is a lot of pressure building up in there, you can actually have not so much a can, but a kind of aluminium balloon mm. filled with beer and foam that could just explode right. in the fridge. Mm. Uh, and it's certainly going to be a lot harder to, to store than you know a, a cylinder would be. Sure. And customers don't, in general, do not want exploding beers. I don't think anybody along the line at any mm. point wants exploding beers. Mm. Certainly not retailers and certainly not customers either. So we've looked into both options, both bottling and canning. Uh, one of the uh, one of the main things I think you're looking for, or we're looking for, is is shelf life, mm. and uh, I think that's a big concern for any kind of small brewery. I think on a, on a very large scale, when you have a lot of money to throw at this problem, you can make sure that your packaging system, whichever whatever it is, bottles or cans, uh, ensures that your beer will keep inside that package whatever it is uh on a shelf in in whatever bar store wherever it is for you know not indefinitely but for a reasonable period of time uh, and i think that's that's probably a big concern for any kind of packaging system is what kind of results do you get out of it if we're delivering a case of beer to a small bar that doesn't have a lot of craft beer drinkers and they're keeping that in their fridge for six months seven months and then they serve someone that can and it has spoiled in some way or gone off that's obviously not a great representation of our of our product and something that that we don't want to have happen so trying to figure out that shelf life question i think is a big concern when like in our shoes we're looking at what kind of system we're going to use mm. i think with bottles it's relatively straightforward to check that the cap is on nice and tightly mm. you basically just have a, a piece of wood with some very specifically sized holes drilled in it that are lined with steel to mm. make sure they stay the same and based on what size of hole you can pass over the cap you can see how tightly it's mm. on the bottle and you right. set your tolerance and it's pretty easy to check that it's a lot harder to check the tolerances on a can because of the way that it's crimped mm. you have to use a a micrometer or some other complicated piece of kit to make sure that it is properly sealed. And remember, there's there's no kind of glue here. There's no seal except for aluminium on aluminium, mm. sorry, aluminium on aluminium. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's if it's even a little bit off, then there can be oxygen getting into that can, which is what's going to spoil it mm. over time. And then it's also possible that there can be oxygen of creeping into the cans as you're putting the tops on and before they are properly sealed. As you said, it's possible to kind of pay your way out of that problem by 
investing in very expensive equipment that mm. kind of blankets everything in CO2. But for a brewery of our size, that's not entirely practical. Mm. So I wonder if one of the problems here is just that because bottling is so much better established in Japan, there's a very high institutional knowledge of how bottling works mm. and how, what the best way to bottle beer is. But canning at this size in Japan is pretty new. Mm-hmm. And so that institutional knowledge isn't really here yet. Mm. It seems like from what I have read, we've looked into a few, uh, I guess what you would call micro canning lines or nano canning lines. Uh, in, in looking into them, it feels like this is a relatively recent development. That mm. I, I think companies that were making much larger scale canning lines uh, were eventually getting requests from much smaller breweries that wanted to put their beer into cans, needed a smaller footprint, needed a less expensive product, uh, but obviously don't want their beer going bad in a month or two months, still wanted to, to get good quality output from the product. So it's possible, as you say, that a lot of these machines are just new, new to Japan, new in the world in general. Uh, so it will be interesting to see uh, we kind of spoke today about calling around to a few breweries that we know that are running various setups, canning lines and bottling lines, and, and just see what kind of output they're getting. Yeah, I think running a packaging line of any kind is a little bit like playing an instrument. If you're doing it well, it looks really easy, but actually it takes a lot of work and practice to get mm. to the point where you can make it look that easy. Mm-hmm. So... Unfortunately, I'm afraid the only real way out of this for us is to go to a lot of breweries and drink a lot of beer. Mm. I know that's not the answer you were hoping for, but it is what it is. It's, you know, it's really frustrating in this job that, that oftentimes the thing that we have to do to really figure it out is go and drink beer. It's, it's unfortunate, isn't it? It's it, a hard it's, life. It's an onerous task, mm. but I hope that we are the guys to carry it out. I know that we will do our best. Um, much like the Danes did at Lindisfarne, we'll show up and we will we will leave the breweries knowing that we have been there. Mm. Much like Hans Christian Andersen did at Charles Dickens' house. Exactly. Dickens's house? Did you apostrophe S that? Charles's? Dickens's? If only Charles Dickens himself were here to answer that question for us. If only. Uh, if you are Charles Dickens and you're listening to this, we want to hear from you. We absolutely want to hear from you. How do you make possessives with your name? What's the deal with Little Dorrit? Well, that wasn't great. It's not your best work. Uh, but still, we want to hear from you. Um, if you are not Charles Dickens and you're listening to this, we also want to hear from you, believe it or not. Um, so get in touch with your questions or your comments. We're available on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all of your favorite social media outlets. Um, that's about all we have time for this week thank you very much for listening Um, we hope that you stay safe over the coming week and we hope to see you in here for a beer again soon it's been a pleasure as always Matthew Manchego thanks for listening everybody 